Good morning. I've been a dad for uh, 13 and a half years now, and uh, I've said this before. This is my confession this morning as I get ready to tell us all that this is usually not a sufficient answer. I remember when Micah was really little, uh, about a year old, I could tell him to go clean his room and he would go in and Lorenda and I would watch and he'd pick up his toys and he'd put them away in his little toy chest. Uh, You know, if he had clothes, he'd put them in his drawer. At a year old, like just as he was old enough to really be walking, he walked a little early, but we could walk alongside him and he would do what we asked him to do. He, He comprehended, he understood. And all the way up until about two and a half, that lasted. It was enough that mom and dad said, hey, could you clean your room? Um, now he's 13, and we still kind of go through the same thing that two and a half. Sorry, Micah, I'm not picking on you. I don't know where you're at this morning. There you are. You're right next to your mom. But I don't think that's unusual. In fact, I think a lot of kids, most kids, are not satisfied with being told to do something just because they were told to do something. Now, I remember when I was young, and my dad would tell me because I said so, I would get infuriated by that. And, and this is one of those phrases that like when you're 13 years old, you say, I'm never going to tell my kids that. I'll never say what my dad just told me. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. Right? But as we get older, we realize right around that two and a half year old age, they start asking one specific question. Why? That's not right. Why? And they ask this question, Innocently. It's not a challenge to us. At two years old, you want to know why. Why should I clean my room? Why should I brush my teeth? Why should I wash my hands after I go to the bathroom in the bathroom and have flushed the toilet? There's a Daniel Tiger song. If you're, you know, children are older than me or my age or even just a little younger. You don't know Daniel Tiger except from uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But there was, there was a show, a cartoon show, and Daniel Tiger got to learn how to use the bathroom appropriately. The song is, if you have to go potty, stop and go right away. Flush and wash and be on your way. Right? We sang that song with Emma especially because she was a little bit more of a Daniel Tiger fan than Micah was over and over and over again, right? We gave her those instructions. What do you do when you go to the bathroom? Well, you go right away, you flush, you wash, and be on your way, right? And for Emma, that really stuck. That was really beneficial until she reached the point that she understood that's not an explanation of why, that's an explanation of what's expected of me. And so we got a lot of questions. Why do I need to go right away? Well, because you don't want to have an accident. Why do I need to flush? Well, because it's kind of gross to just have it sitting there in the bathroom, right? Why do I have to wash my hands? See the previous answer, right? That's kind of gross if you don't. We give a lot of those answers, but eventually we reach the breaking point, right, where you've heard why about 4,000 times in a half an hour, and the answer just becomes, because I said so. I don't want to have to justify my commands to my child any longer because I've lived longer than you and you should just trust that what I'm telling you is what's best for you. Why do you need to eat your green vegetables? Because it's good for you. But I'm not going to tell you that. It's because I told you to. Because I said so. 
I'm pretty sure I explained it to you like six years ago, or in Micah's case, 11 years ago, right? You were two years old when we told you why. Eventually, we want to stop answering the questions because the question why becomes tedious. And as parents, we can relate to this. It's a little bit more difficult, I think, before we're parents. But God has asked us to do a lot of things. Over the course of history, there have been commandments that God has given to specific groups of people, to the entirety of humanity. There are expectations he has for us. There are uh, desires of his heart for his people. And the truth is, because he's God, and he has the perspective, he's the one that made us, why could be a question we ask him, and the answer could be, because I said so. And if we believe that God is who God says he is, that, that could be enough. I'm God, and I said so. And that's why you're going to do it. But I don't think God is quite as impatient as I am as a parent. I don't think that God leaves it with that. In fact, if you go and you read a lot of the commandments that God gives, there's often an explanation tied to the commandment he's given. In fact, you think about the Ten Commandments. Many of those have some kind of explanation in them. Not all of them, but tied to those commandments, he begins with, I am the Lord your God. It's a pretty good why, right? I've made a covenant with you. You are my people. I am your God. Am I not the God who brought you out of Egypt? God has all of this preamble. And the the book of Exodus, in many ways, when we get to the commandments, can look back and say, why? Go read the previous 19 chapters and you'll understand why. You get to Exodus chapter 20 and you start getting these commands, the the Ten Commandments specifically, and, and you have a preamble, a pretext for understanding why. All right, God, we're going to serve you, but we really want an explanation for why we should serve you. All right, well, let's begin with your salvation, your removal from slavery and bondage, my giving you victory over the armies of Egypt by crossing over a sea that was, for all intents and purposes to you, impenetrable. I am carrying you to a promised land that I have offered to your forefathers, and now I am giving to you. And in exchange, I am asking you a number of things that I would like you to keep. I am commanding you some things that I believe are for your benefit. And as we had read to us this morning in Joshua chapter 1, we have this, this dialogue between God and Joshua where Joshua has just been placed in charge of the Israelite people, essentially God's representative to his chosen people. He is the new Moses. This is his role, to lead the people into the land 
so that they might subdue it. Same language as what we see in uh, the book of Genesis in regard to Adam and Eve. They're going to go in and they're going to make this place God's place. They will be God's people. He's going to empower them to do good things. And in exchange for that, they have to be under his authority. And so when God speaks to Joshua, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice here, God does two things. First of all, he reminds Joshua, I've given you commands. I have explained to you what my expectations are, and now I'm telling you what the benefits of keeping those commands are. But in the middle, he, he makes this statement, you shall meditate on it. You shall meditate on this book of law. Now, if God's answer to why is because I said so, that's a pretty black and white reasoning, right? Uh, Micah, clean your room. Why? Because I said so. All right, well, there's no reason other than because you said so. You're the father in this house, and that's what I'm going to do. Apparently, I don't need to understand why my room needs to be clean, why that's beneficial. Micah, I'm really sorry I'm picking on you this morning. When I get pulled over for speeding, which hasn't happened for a very long time, not since I've lived in Texas, as a matter of fact. I got pulled over for speeding all the time in Texas, and I drove a lot slower than the rest of the Texans. It was kind of surprising to me. Have you ever driven through Texas before and been on like one of the interstate highways, and they're going like 90 miles an hour and like rocking your vehicle as you're driving like right at the speed limit because you're kind of afraid of getting pulled over in the state of Texas where you've heard things? Um, I've had that happen many, many a time. My first year living in Texas, I was like a by the by the book. Like my speedometer was lined up perfectly, and yet, you know, if I drifted like two miles an hour over that, I felt like I got pulled over all the time. I only ever got one ticket in the state of Texas. That's a little aside, by the way. When you get pulled over, there's oftentimes not an explanation given because there's an expectation that when you got your driver's license you did the right thing and you read through the little DMV packet, right? The manual, everybody read cover to cover the driver's instruction manual, right? Before you went and took your test? No. Ken's honest. He's, he's shaking his head. Nah, no. Uh, the expectation is that you know, first of all, the law of the land, but then also probably a good understanding of why it is that you shouldn't speed. I remember when I took my, my driver safety course, because you had to take a driver safety course by the time I was getting my license. And one of the things that they did was they talked about the horrific, terrible accidents that occur because people drive drunk, because people drive over the speed limit, because people drive distracted. Lots of different things that they explained to you. Let me show you pictures of why it's a bad idea. And then they would put up these graphic like images of accidents in which you know the, the vehicle is just absolutely totaled. And they'd ask, what do you think this person was doing? And the answer was always, oh, this person was driving drunk. And the answer was usually, this person was busy changing the radio on a wet road and looked down, and before they had a chance to look back up, they were off the road. And they drilled into us the why 
of ignoring the distractions, the why of being focused on the road. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I turned 16 and I had been driving for about six months, I forgot a lot of the, the answers to the question why. And one Sunday morning, my brother and I were in, uh, in my car, my 1995 uh, Mazda Protégé. Uh, I was really proud of that car. I had paid for a, a good portion. Actually, I had, I had not paid for a good portion of it. I had saved money working at McDonald's to buy a car, and my dad surprised me with a car of the equal value of the money that I had saved, which was a really wonderful and generous thing for my dad to do. Made my mom a little upset because he didn't confer with her first. Once again, the, twice this year, I'm telling you, don't buy a car without consulting your spouse, even if it's for your son, Right? But here's the deal. It was a Sunday morning. It was just before Christmas. I was leaving ahead of my mom and my dad and the rest of my family. And my brother was in the passenger seat of, our, of my car. And we came around the corner. And it was a little icy out. And we had this hill that we were going down. And it was sunny. And I reached over to grab my sunglasses And as I kind of slipped them on and looked up, I was like five feet away from the vehicle in front of me that had just slammed on its brakes, and I slid right underneath it. And the hitch of that vehicle, which suffered like no damage, pushed the engine back into the the passenger compartment of my car. It was totaled. And so I have a good reason why I don't drive distracted anymore. Why nothing on my seat is enough to distract me from what I'm supposed to be doing. I have a why in my head. And it was a why I had been told before, but I hadn't really ruminated on it. I hadn't meditated on it. I hadn't internalized the reasons why this was so significant. And God gives the people hundreds of commands. We've talked about this before when we went through uh, the Sermon on the Mount a couple of years ago. One of the things we had talked about were the, the large number of mitzvah, the commandments that God had given to the people that were expected to be kept. When we talked about this uh, in John chapter 5, verse, uh, I think it's 39, John 5, 39, uh, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you will find life. You think by keeping the commandments, keeping the commandments, finding them, creating a checklist out of them and keeping them, you will find life. But the truth is, you can know the commandments. Don't speed. Don't drive under the influence of alcohol. Don't drive distracted. Put your cell phone away and pay attention to the road. But if you haven't meditated on what the consequences of breaking those commandments are, the answer might, might as well just be because I said so. And when we reduce God's commands to because I said so, they become highly unsatisfying. It makes God arbitrary. It makes him thoughtless 
in his commandments that he's given to us. If, if the answer, because I said so, is sufficient to us, we're not following the commandment that God has given us to meditate on his law. In fact, it's not just Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, and we might be saying, well, he commanded that to Joshua. He didn't command that to me. Well, truth be told, he talks about it multiple times in Scripture. In fact, when you look at Deuteronomy 11, verse 18 through 20, Josh and I were talking about this a little while back, God gets hyper-specific about things he wants his people to do. He says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is all in reference to the law. Now, if the law is just a checklist of things that you are supposed to do and not supposed to do, why in the world do you need to write them on the doorposts of your house and wear them on your frontlets and write them on your hand and talk to your children about them when they're young and when they get older and, and, and when you're eating meals and when you're walking down the road? Why should you have to do this so much? Why not just post one canonical list on the wall in your house and say, every morning consult the list and do the things you're not supposed to do and don't do the things you're not supposed to do? I mean, that would be pretty sufficient, right? If God's whole desire for us is just to do it because he said so, why do we have to talk about it so much? I'm going to pick on Micah one last time. In recent years, when a commandment of the father of the household or a commandment of the mother of the household is not followed, it oftentimes leads to a long discussion probably longer than Micah would like. But those discussions dig into the question of why. I'm going to be honest with you. Micah has improved in so many ways about the ways in which he honors the things his mother and I ask us to do as we've been willing to explain our reasoning for the rules that we have. I like to think that Micah, in our dialogue about the things that we ask him to do, has come to better understand my heart and his mother's heart. My hope is that when we have these conversations about why expectations haven't been met, why we've asked him to live in a particular way, come to their conclusion, that Micah walks away with a deeper love for us. Now, sometimes that love is several days down the road because there are consequences that are paired with the discussion as well. But my hope is that in explaining to him how our rules, our commands, our expectations benefit him, he'll come to a deeper understanding of our love for him. When God commands to the people to keep the Sabbath, be really easy to say, well, why in the world should I not work on a Saturday? Why in the world should I rest? Like, I've got plenty of energy. I can go out and do whatever I want. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. God, I can take the extra day. And God says, you don't understand. I know what you need. 
I know what's of benefit for you. And if you work that extra day, you know what's going to happen? You're going to think that your life is all about the work you've done, about accumulating just a little bit more. If you don't take a break to enjoy your life, you may miss the things that I, I treasure most for you. Time with your wife and children. Time to be still and to get to know your neighbor. Time to pray in an undistracted way. When we look at God's commands and we meditate on why it is that he commanded them, when we ask that question why, I think God oftentimes gives us a much richer answer than because I said so. Here in in Joshua, if we go back here, um, sorry, too far forward, Joshua God gives some examples of why it will benefit them, right? Your way will be prosperous. You will have good success. If you keep my commands, things are going to go well for you. Now, that's not a particularly deep why, but it's a pretty sufficient why. When God commands to children to obey their father and mother or honor their father and mother, however you want to translate that, he gives them an explanation of why that will benefit them. For you will live long in the land. There are benefits to God's commands. And as we meditate on them, we see God's love for us expressed. Now you're thinking, okay, this is the old covenant, and God tells them to meditate on his commands. I want to be completely honest with you. The Old Testament was the Bible of the first century church. They had not accumulated all of Paul's writings and the Gospels, and they had not accumulated the book of Revelation. They they did not have a compiled collection of the works that we do today. Does that mean that they didn't honor the uh, receipt of a letter from an apostle in a way that treated it as very holy and and scripturous? Scripturous? That's not a right word. Peter tells us that the writings of Paul are scripture, right? The first century church saw these writings as scripture, but most importantly, the Bible that the first century church had was the Old Testament. And so when they read these words, meditate on this book of the law, they understand that there is a message from God to them in these commands. Now, I want to go to Psalms here. It says, blessed, Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Read the whole psalm. It's a great psalm. It's actually a really wonderful introduction to a book of poetry. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is that man. I don't know about you. Actually, I probably do know this, the answer to this question. Do you want to be blessed? Like, I I don't know anyone who's going to answer that question, no, you know, I've got plenty in my life, I don't need any more blessings. I think the answer to that question is yes. And the psalmist ties the blessing in our lives to our meditation on the law on the commands of God. Now, to be clear, I'm not, 
I'm not trying to suggest that we need to go back to the Old Testament and keep all of the dietary laws and, uh, you know, make sure that we send people outside of the camp if they've been unclean and, you know, have them do ritual ablations and things like that. What I think we're supposed to do as Christians who have access to these texts is to ask, what was God's heart for his people in providing these commands? To look at the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which John is teaching on on Sunday mornings, and ask the question, what is Jesus' heart here? But you know, the interesting thing about it is that paired with most of these commands about how the Israelite people will behave, about how the followers of Jesus will behave, there is always a suggestion that when God's people follow God's commands, people who do not yet belong to God will be blessed by it as well. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the salt of the earth. It's not Maybe a little bit about flavor, but it's about the preservation of something good. In the Old Testament, God tells the Israelite people, you will be a light to the nations. They will come from all over to worship in this city. If you keep my commands. Why... Do we do what God asks us to do? I think for us here, we're convinced enough that we can say, look, I love God. And if he has asked me to do something, I'm going to do it. And it doesn't really matter why I trust him. I think for the converted, because I said so, might actually be a sufficient answer. But I want to be completely honest with you. If we don't meditate on the law, we might lose light of why we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, our strength. If we forget to meditate on God's word, to internalize it, to ask, what is God communicating to me in this? We don't have a message of hope to share with those folks out there. When we meditate on the law of God, when we internalize his reasons for giving us the commands he's given to us, we understand better the character of our God, we understand his love for us, We understand his love for those who do not love him yet. I want to encourage you this week to consider the commands that God has given. The moral guidance that he has offered to us. The unique perspective that he has given to his people that is different from the perspective that the world bears, the world carries, the world has internalized. And ask yourself, If God's command is in conflict with the morality of the world, what is God trying to communicate with me in this? How do I better understand the God that I follow by meditating on his commands? That's my encouragement to you this week. It's not a lot. It's something that maybe we should all be doing anyway, right? I mean, the Bible is pretty clear on this idea. 
It's really convicted me the last couple of weeks that sometimes the answer we offer to the people outside of our own fellowship, outside of the body of Christ on why should I keep these commands, is because God said so. And even if that's a satisfactory answer for us, it's probably not a satisfactory answer for someone who does not yet believe. If we want to offer them real, true thoughtful understanding of the nature of God, we have to meditate on his commands. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to know you. That is a desire that's in our hearts as people who love you, people who want to follow you, people who want to emulate you, people who want to be like Jesus. It is enough to say, because you said so. But you have commanded us to meditate on your commands. And I believe that the purpose behind that is so that we might better understand your heart, your love, the things you care about, the things that you would would seek to redeem. And I pray that we meditate this week. I pray that we consider and contemplate your heart in your commands. So that when the world asks us, well, why is it that you believe this? Why is it that you follow this command? Why do you keep this moral principle? That we can answer them with the heart of God. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, if you are hurting, if you are uh, experiencing uh, a, a desire for community, if you are looking for uh, a better understanding of who God is and his love for you, we believe we're people who have that understanding. We, we believe that we're people that can walk alongside you and help you move closer to Jesus. If you have already decided that what you want to do is commit your life to Christ, we offer you baptism this morning. We've got our, our baptistry right back here. It's not filled this morning like it's been you know, several Sundays, but uh, we would baptize you today. And if you want to know why we would baptize you, we'd explain it to you too, uh, not just because God said so. We want to continue our worship this morning, but if you have need of the church, we want to share with you. We want to walk alongside you and love you well. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. We have elders here today who would be happy to visit with you, as well as some women who would be happy to sit alongside you and pray with you if that's what you would, would like today. We're going to stand and sing.